Welcome to another episode of The Unlock Moment. I'm Dr. Gary Crotez. I want to start this one slightly differently from normal. And firstly, I want to say thank you. Thank you to all of you in the more than 60 countries around the world who are listening and subscribing to The Unlock Moment and mentioning it to friends and colleagues who you think would find it interesting or insightful. We more than doubled our downloads in January compared with December and are on track to grow another 25% in February. Apple has just picked The Unlock Moment as one of its 20 recommended podcasts in the category of career moves. That's a huge deal. Honestly, thank you. We couldn't do it without each and every one of you. Today's episode is with someone you've probably never heard of, but Beatrice Zorneck is genuinely one of the most fascinating and insightful thinkers I've come across in recent times and it's why I asked her if she would come and record with me. If you've listened for a while, you'll know how much I enjoy spending time with people who are figuring things out in the moment, and it's a privilege to be able to witness that deep work in practice. You'll hear an extraordinary personal journey. You'll learn something about giving your brain the space and time to do the thinking it needs to do, and you'll see the powerful impact of letting go of the constraints that are defined by society to forge your own path. Here's a short extract of just a few highlights of this amazing interview with Beatrice Zorneck you're about to hear on the Unlock Moment. I remember perhaps those were images that weren't suited for a seven-year-old to see, but I, I do remember... I remember going to the centre of the city and... It was a very, I can still very vividly remember, it was a very grim image, you know, there was, there was a lot of sacrifice from people to stop communism and, you know, the buildings were destroyed, there was a lot of blood everywhere and that's an image that's just imprinted in my, in my mind. She says, well, if you could do anything, you know, magic wand question and money was no object, what would you do? And in that moment, I just blurted out and I said, I would do what you do. And then I just put my hand over my mouth as if I was trying to put the words back into my mouth. (laughs) But of course I couldn't because they were already out. And I was just holding my hand over my mouth. And obviously the words were just sinking in the space as I was doing that. And that was a really, really powerful moment for me. I think we live in a world where we're... I think we don't realize how much we're taught to think and what to believe and what's right and what we should do. And we do all of that and we're told that if we do all of that, we're going to be happy. And then we're, there's still something missing. And I think those moments of raw, almost childish authenticity are so powerful yet so terrifying to say this is my path and my path is not the path that everyone else expects of me there is something extremely scary of not fitting in of digressing from the beaten path that's been laid ahead for you. You were saying about how I'm thinking in the moment and it's so interesting that just having this conversation with you in a way feels very exposing but in a really powerful and authentic way and I feel that You know, the questions you're asking me, they're questions that 
I don't think anyone has asked me. I feel like you just have this, um, there's this profound curiosity about understanding the human in front of you. And I think what's happening for me is that I'm just resonating with that and I feel just so open to to, to check what's in there as you're, uh, as you're asking me these questions. But I think there is something special and there was something special for me in hindsight, of course, not in that moment. In hindsight, being in that moment down on my knees and realizing that I needed to make a drastic change because in that moment I just surrendered and I became open because I had just nothing else to lose. And I think that gives us an immense amount of courage. My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. Sometimes the conversations I look forward to the most are the ones that just flow. You don't know where the beginning, middle and end are. I think today's conversation is going to be a bit like that. And I'm delighted that my good friend and fellow coach Beatrice Zornek has accepted my invitation to the podcast. She has what you might call a sixth sense, all will become clear. Originally from Romania and now living in London, Beatrice has had a lifelong passion for understanding the depths of the human psyche. After a degree in psychology, she had an eclectic career, which included writing online gaming guides for World of Warcraft players, corporate sales, recruitment and HR in a range of organisations from very large corporations to small startups. In 2018, Beatrice quit her corporate career to become a career coach and later a coaching supervisor. She is passionate about supporting people through transitions from career to vocation, finding meaning and living that meaning out in the world. As a highly sensitive person or HSP, she cares deeply about supporting other HSPs in doing work that's aligned with their personality and values. Let's dive in and see where the conversation takes us. Beatrice Onek, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment. Oh, thank you, Gary. Your, your introduction uh, when, you, um, when you spoke, it was um, just very moving. Thank you. It's your story. Now, I'm a, I'm a great believer that a person doesn't have to be defined by their upbringing. Nevertheless, your early life is undoubtedly a major influence on who you are as a person. Tell, tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Mm. Wow, you're diving right in. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I was born in Romania during the communism. Um, so my first seven years of life were during the communism, and I, um, I can still remember a lot of it. Um, I remember my parents separated when I was two, um, and I remember being maybe like three years old and waking up at 4 a.m. with my mom to go to the... Um, to the shop to buy milk and bread um you had to queue for like two or three hours to <laughs> to even um, get bread so um i'd say it was a very difficult 
um, time for the whole society. And um, I think Romania, even what is it like 40, well, 30 years, 30 something years later, is still recovering from the, um, the trauma of the communism, really. That's the, the, early, <laughs> the early days or the early years of my um, life. Um, I also had the, I think it's a privilege to grow up through the revolution, uh, which um, ended communism in Romania. And um, I remember perhaps those were images that weren't suited for a seven-year-old to see, but I, I do remember uh, because the revolution actually started in Timisoara, where I'm originally from. Um, I remember going to the center of the city and um, it was a very, I can still very vividly remember, it was a very grim um, image. You know, there was, there was a lot of sacrifice from people to stop communism and, um, you know, the buildings were destroyed. There was a lot of blood everywhere. Um, and that's an image that's just imprinted in my in my mind. I don't know if that's what you had in mind when you were asking me about my upbringing, but these are a couple of things that really, I think, um, marked my my childhood. And at the age of seven, that that was when that was all happening for you. And what happened then through your through your teenage years? Mm. You stayed in Romania, or you you moved? Yeah, I stayed in Romania. Um, I I was so fortunate to get a top education, um, really, um, you know, study at the the best schools, the best high school. Um, it was a bit of a, a shock for me going into school because I grew up in a very, let's say, modest environment and. In the school, I remember, you know, all the all the children of, you know, lawyers and doctors were studying there. And it was a bit of a shock for me to see how other people live. Um, and I ended up studying um, a science, like in high school, a, a science um, specialism. Um, and I think one of my, speaking of unlock moments, I think, Probably my first real unlock moment was um, I just had a feeling in high school that I could like sense people. I I, I thought everyone felt the same way, but I realized that I could uh, figure out which people matched together to be in a couple. And I started like introducing people and um, um, suggesting that these people meet and um, some relationships were formed. Um, and I remember thinking it was so like it was so obvious to me. Um, and I was surprised that it wasn't obvious for for other people. Um, and we were probably sixteen. And I remember my head teacher um, coming into the classroom and he says, uh, "Everyone gets a piece of paper." And he says, write down your name and what you'd like to study when you finish high school. Um, and he sat there at his desk and he's um, reading the papers and he goes, John, IT programming, Andrew, IT programming, IT programming, 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 Beatrice, psychology. And in that moment, he just paused, he looked up at me and he said, I think that's a really good idea. And I still remember that moment so vividly. And in that moment, it just became clear. Um, you know, the fact that I wrote psychology, I knew everyone was going to study programming. And the fact that I wrote psychology was more of an act of rebellion. You know, I more like blurted it out rather than actually thought about wanting to study psychology. Uh, but when he, when he paused like that and he, he said that to me, it was just such a, a really meaningful uh, moment for me. And I did indeed end up studying psychology. And what do you remember about that moment beyond what he said? Uh, one of the things that I 
often talk about with Unlock Moments and, 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 and people that come on the podcast to describe theirs. They, they, they can see themselves in that moment. They can remember what the weather was. They can remember who they were with at the time and what they were thinking inside. So bring to life what you remember right in that moment of realization. Hmm. I think perhaps with the gift of hindsight, programming, you know, IT was just growing during that time and programming was a well-paid, well-respected career of the future. And everyone who wanted to become someone would study that. So I think in me saying psychology and just blurting that out, and I had another couple of moments like that. So now with the gift of hindsight, I can, I can realize that that's what happened. I think in saying that was probably one of the first moments of true authenticity, of really lived authenticity, where I was in integrity with what I was feeling deep inside, but never had the courage to um, to express. And having that authenticity and integrity validated by someone that I deeply respected, my head teacher, um, just clicked together and um, I think probably, you know, changed the, the course of the rest of my life. It's really interesting. You can hear how powerful that was for you. Mm. And what happened next? I went on to study psychology and I think as I was um, in the in the years coming up to studying psychology, I, I became clearer that I wanted to study psychology because I wanted to solve my problems. <laughs> um, and little did I know that when you learn psychology, just you know, the same way that when you learn coaching, you can help others, but uh, it's not that easy to to help yourself. So I learned, um, I learned a lot. But I think what um, university did for me was to really open up my mind and open up a lifelong passion for um, for really understanding not just what makes people tick, but what's deep in their soul. If you take apart, you know, all the layers and everything of the human, what is left down there, you know? That's really interesting. Um, I remember when I was 16, 17, I went to medical school. Um, my impression at that age of what medical school and being a doctor was, was, was very superficial and, and, and very slightly fairy tale. I would say. And one of the things I learned a lot at university was, was what it really is. And, and actually for me, it turned out in time, it, it wasn't me, but I couldn't have known that at 16, 17. Was the psychology that you, that you studied what you thought it was going to be? And I'm interested because I, I can imagine different people will take psychology in different directions. And you're very particular about this sort of getting really into the depths of the psyche. Mm. Um. No, to be honest, I, I don't think it was because um, I probably imagined that psychology is about helping you solve psychological problems or challenges. Um, but of course, I later learned that that was more in the psychotherapy um, realm. Um, it was more understanding it was still a great understanding it was understanding what humans are like you know from a neurobiology perspective and educational psychology organizational developmental um so i think understanding people from all these different perspectives was uh, was useful but it didn't give you the tools to do something about it. Um, and when I graduated, I, I would have loved to become a psychotherapist. Uh, but of course, the training was long and very costly. So, um, you know, needs must. <laughs> and I ended up um, 
working instead of becoming a psychotherapist. And actually over time, over the years, um, I sat with this desire to become a psychotherapist and I realized over time that actually psychotherapy deals with some sometimes very difficult um, things, sometimes trauma. Um, and I realized that I probably didn't have the um, resilience to be able to immerse myself on a constant basis, you know, on a daily basis into um, such difficulty and struggle. And this is why to this day, I have a huge amount of respect for people who do become psychotherapists. But you knew it wasn't you. Um, if I had the financial possibility at the time, I probably would have studied it. Um, and I probably would have gotten to the point of realizing that it isn't me. I often say when I'm working with people on finding their clarity, the first clarity they often find is what it isn't mm -hmm. before they find the clarity of what it is. Mm -hmm. Does that resonate for you? Yeah, um, uh, that really resonates in terms of my career. Um, because I think I was a bit of a seeker, you know, in my career. And that explains my very eclectic career. And I was so fortunate to be able to be more of a generalist in my, you know, first, what, 10, 12 years of career. Um, but I knew that I wanted to help people solve problems. That was the clarity that I had. And I did that, you know, in team leadership and in sales and in HR and in recruitment. But there was always just that, there was just that little bit thing missing. If every, with every role, you fulfill the part of it, and then there was still something like this nagging feeling that something was missing. Mm. And what was missing? Um, I've been working with my own coach since 2011, so 12 years now. And I was doing a, a role in recruitment. and. I remember having a session with her and I was saying to her, you know, this recruitment is, is great, but I just feel like something is missing. And she says, well, if you could do anything, you know, magic wand question and money was no object, what would you do? And in that moment, I just blurted out and I said, I would do what you do. And then I just put my hand over my mouth as if I was trying to put the words back into my mouth. <laughs> but of course I couldn't because they were already out. And I was just holding my hand over my mouth. And obviously the words were just sinking in the space <laughs> as I was doing that. Um, and that was a really, really powerful moment for me. Uh, but it was also really scary because I had no intention and no idea how I, how that would become a reality. And I remember in that session, I was talking about, well, if I was to ever become a coach, and it was still like, you know, blue sky thinking at that stage. Um, I would need to have a role that acts almost as a bridge from recruitment uh, that I was doing in um, um, internal recruitment for a startup in London into coaching. And my coach said, well, have you thought about working in HR? And I said, well, yeah, HR would be amazing, but I don't have any experience in HR other than recruitment. And that would, that would never happen, you know? And then three months later, um, there were some big changes in the organization. A new managing director arrived and he sits me down one day and he says, you know, we're, we're going to make some big changes in the organization. We're not going to... Um, hire any more people. So basically your role 
isn't really needed anymore. But I do, I do need an HR director. Would you be willing to do that role? And I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, it's almost like when you, when you speak something in to reality, it just, it's like things happened to, to help me make that a reality or something like that. I'm really interested in the fact that you use the same language when you were talking about being 16 and then with your coach and you said, I blurted it out. I blurted out that I wanted to be in psychology. I blurted out that maybe I can do what you do. And then you said, and this is really interesting, and you know me, you know I'm fascinated by words, and you said, I wanted to put the words back in after I'd said it. Tell me more about why you wanted to put the words back in when you said, I want to do what you do. I think we live in a world where I think we don't realize how much we're taught to think and what to believe and what's right and what we should do. And we do all of that and we're told that if we do all of that, we're going to be happy. And then we're, there's still something missing. And I think those moments of raw, almost childish authenticity are so powerful, yet so terrifying. To say, this is my path, and my path is not the path that everyone else expects of me. There is something extremely scary of not fitting in, of digressing from the beaten path that's been laid ahead for you. And I want the listeners to notice how, I mean, I can see Beatrice and you can't see Beatrice, but I tell you what, that when I ask these questions, Beatrice is genuinely thinking in this moment and taking time to figure some of these things out. And it's something that I talk about a lot, which is that sometimes to, to come to deep and clear realizations, you have to take the time that it takes to figure things out. And it's not always obvious. It's not always solvable in the moment. But I just, I, I think that I feel very privileged to be able to observe what you're doing right now, which is to figure these things out. Um, for you, where does that come from, that sense of there's a what I should do, what I ought to do? Where does that come from for you? Just before I answer your question, I think um, you were saying about how I'm thinking in the moment, and it's so interesting that just having this conversation with you in a way feels very exposing, but in a really powerful and authentic way. And I feel that, you know, the questions you're asking me, they're questions that I don't think anyone has asked me. I feel like you just have this, um, there's this profound curiosity about understanding the human in front of you. Um, and I think what's happening for me is that I'm just resonating with that and I feel um, just so open to, to, to check what's in there as you're, uh, as you're asking me these questions. And, you know, I, I had a, I know you asked me a question, but I had a curiosity about how you experienced that moment when you realized that medicine wasn't for you. And I mean, you know, medicine is such a... Um, huge investment. I mean, many people might decide not to turn back from that because of that investment and everything that you've put in. So, um, you know, as I'm, as I'm relaying my own 
my own experience, I can't help but think what must have gone through your mind to to go through such a significant change? For me, um, I I did the long form of medical training because I did a PhD along the way as well. So my end-to-end training before my first hospital job uh, was eight years from, from start to finish. So I was 28 when I was graduating uh, and I was 27 when I had my unlock moment at that time, which was that I had been training for many years and and doing the rotations of specialisms as you do in 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 your medical training and pediatrics and psychiatry and general surgery and Hobson Gynae and around you go. And I was thinking it's all interesting, but I didn't land in anything and I thought this is it. This is this is the thing that I want to do. Um but I didn't know what to do with that. So I was in 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 search mode. And the closer I think I got to the end, the more um, more mindful I was of the sort of impending decision points that were coming ahead. Um, and then I, I started to get to know some qualified doctors. I was in a lab working with doctors who were, you know, five to 10 years into their professional career as doctors. And, and I'd never really got to know doctors as friends before. I'd had doctors as, as, as tutors and lecturers and so on before, but, but not as friends. And I understood more then about the sacrifice, the personal sacrifices of their career, um, and also some of the limitations, just simply because of the pyramid structure of medicine, that the higher up you go, the less choice there is, actually. Uh, and the implication that has on choice of, of where you're located, choice of impact on, on your family and your, your kids in school and so on and so forth. Um, and I remember, back to this sort of how vivid that memory can be of that moment, I think I was either sitting in the computer room or, or that ages me, sitting in the computer room or, or, or walking in the corridor in the lab. And I had this moment of reflection there suddenly my reflection was, I don't have to do this if I don't want to. That was my that was my my clarity, and as you say, you know, it's such a not done thing to do because the investment, the time, uh, and I that reflection didn't mean that I was leaving, but it meant that I was giving my permission myself permission to to question, and I was like, well, you know, I'm I felt quite old at the time, you know, you in your late twenties you always feel old, but then <laughs> in your mid thirties you feel old, and in your forties you feel old too, so. Um, and what I did was I said well imagine I didn't do this what would I do no idea but then I started looking and when I started looking I realized that there were other things that I could do that would fit who I was better and I started to understand myself better and years and years later as you say with the benefit of hindsight for me you know, doing my strengths, understanding my natural talents and strengths, I realized then why I felt like a square peg in a round hole in medicine. Because my talents and strengths are not about acquisition of knowledge and application of knowledge. Mine are more about curiosity and solving the unsolvable, often with no data. And that kind of, how, how do you make sense of, of, of chaos? And so when somebody said, here's a textbook, please can you learn it? And then I'm going to examine you on it. I could do it, but I didn't love it. Um, and I recognized there, there were just lots of people around me that I thought would be better doctors, not necessarily in the, in, the, in the talking to patients bit. I thought I would do that well. But just in the, I was paranoid about not knowing a thing that was the thing I needed to know to make the right decision about the diagnosis and the treatment and the prognosis and so on and so forth. So, so. Yeah, there, there was something about me figuring out really who I was. And, and what I connect with in your story is that emergent nature of you understanding and discovering who you uniquely are and what you uniquely bring. And I'm fascinated, but there's lots of people that have come on the podcast that have had that kind of journey. Um, and I'm fascinated in understanding them in, in that way. 
Yeah, and what really resonated with me in what you were saying, I mean, everything resonated, but um, when you were talking about curiosity and chaos and making sense of chaos when there isn't a, you know, there isn't a handbook that tells you follow step one, two, three. Um, and I think this really is what differentiates powerful coaching from good coaching because there is something just so raw and so beautiful in being able to sit in that chaos and not need to fix it, <laughs> not need to find a solution, to just be able to sit in that uncertainty, which is what you were describing that you'd like to do, but also you probably had to sit with a lot of uncertainty in that year while you were searching and figuring out what you wanted to do. And we were talking earlier about this. Um, I was experiencing it almost as a, you know, a polarity between the path ahead that's there and straying off <laughs> my path, um, which would mean I don't fit in. So there's this almost polarity between what you should what you should do and what you feel deep down. Um, how did you experience did you experience that polarity or am I alone in that? <laughs> I don't think you're alone at all. I think that I think that the should comes from a different place for different people. So so certainly when i was training in medicine i think the should wasn't the sense of a person or or society um having an opinion that i that i that i should follow a certain path it was simply the fact that the training is so structured and you're on a conveyor belt that after 5 years or 6 years or 8 years depending on what kind of program you're on you fall out at the other end and if you passed your exams you are there you are a doctor there's not much stratification of doctors. You don't get first class, second class, third class degrees in medicine. You just get passed or didn't pass. Um, and, and a handful of people get distinction because they're truly exceptional. Um, but but you, you kind of, you, you, you've, you've gone through the process and, and you have succeeded in that process. Um, and so by the nature of, of that development and training, nobody else is ever saying to you, have you thought about the different things that you could do with this training? Whereas I imagine in, in other less vocational programs, you've got, if you do this program, then at the end you can go into education or you can go into industry or you can go into research or you can, you know, do a law conversion or you can do an MBA or whatever, you know, there's, 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 there's more breadth. And I remember walking into the careers fair at, at university which medical students never did because you don't need to go to a careers fair because you're going to be a doctor. Um, and I was like, oh, I could work for Unilever or I could go into the civil service or I could become a management consultant or I could do investment banking. And I have literally no idea what any of those things are. And so I started to talk to people um, and I started to realize the thing. I remember the thing that I recognized um, when I when I started talking to people in consulting, was not actually the business side because I had no experience and felt hopelessly exposed on things like profit and loss. Um, but I I remember this vivid. Um, you're not an expert in what they do, but you can help them solve their problems. You know, you're coming in and you're going to do three weeks in a cement company, um, and of course they've spent thirty forty years of their career doing cement. Um, and I was like, well, this is fascinating that, you know, and you've got to play that very cautiously because, of course, you're, you're not playing yourself as an expert in cement. You're playing yourself as a person that can help them to think differently and help them to solve their own problems. And actually, many years later, when I came to coaching, that is exactly the same thing. You know, your, your point about curiosity, I think that in medicine, I felt like you talk to the patient and the people around them, and you gather information, and then you bring your wealth of knowledge, and then you bring process. And in some specialties more than others, 
um, there, there's now you know, deep research and guidelines. So it's not even asking you to do much of the thinking. It's saying if this patient is between the age of 40 and 50 and they have this blood pressure and they have that family history, then the right treatment for them to be on right now is this beta blocker. You know, that's not for you to make a choice on. That's what the right answer is. And that's a good thing because the treatment is better, but it takes you further and further away from the doctors having to do the thinking. Um, and what I love about coaching actually is precisely that the less I have an opinion, the better a coach I am. Um, and to some extent, consulting is a bit like that. You mean you form an opinion, but you have to come to it with no opinion and, and, and use data and insight and analysis and conversation to, to figure out a path ahead. So it is in that figuring out, I think, for me, that, that, is, that is what I love. Now, what I don't have that you do have is this sixth sense for emotion. And you were talking earlier about this feeling and this awareness of feeling that you started to notice in your teenage years. But that's, that's become, I think, a big part of, of who you are and what you bring in, in the work you do today. So tell me a bit more about how that emerged for you and, and how that started to resonate in, in the work you were doing. Um. What was coming up for me as you were speaking is almost, um, it was almost like a feeling of um, envy, <laughs> envy that you you were just able to have this um, clarity at you know, 27 years old. And I think um, what I've done, and I think what many of us do, um, is we wait and we don't have the courage to step into what our soul, you know, guides us to do. Um, and the reason I'm really passionate to work as a career coach is actually because I waited and I waited and I waited until I got to a point where my body stopped working. Um, I had some very serious health problems. I was diagnosed with two autoimmune conditions. Um, I started experiencing chronic fatigue, burnout. Um, and it's really interesting that you know, that was a moment, you know, or a year or more than a year, actually, of real adversity. Uh, but it's so interesting how when there is a path that is ours, and I personally, I believe that we each come into this world with a path that is ours. Um, and you don't have the courage to say yes to the call of the path, like the hero's journey. If you don't say yes, the path has a way of calling you back to it. And sometimes in the shape of um, adversity, um, like my case was, and I didn't become a coach because I felt so deeply passionate and I wanted to move towards coaching, but I ended up becoming a coach because I knew that working in corporate was not sustainable for my health long-term. And probably, you know, another unlock moment for me when, when that started was actually the first day of coach training. I sat in the room and it was just me and the trainer uh, before anyone else arrived. And it was just that trainer standing there and she had her flip chart and there, we hadn't had any exchange or communication or there wasn't anything that um, like an insight or a revelation. But just being in that space, I just suddenly felt this, I felt this sense of peace and I felt I am in the right place. And I think especially for a highly sensitive person, we're, we're so concerned with 
being what we're expected to be and not disappointing others and just feeling that sense of peace and I am in the right place just felt, um, it was just really magical. The language you use is really evocative. And I think that I can I can hear in your voice the importance of that moment for you. What are you feeling right now when you think back to it? Perhaps um, it was a bit similar to what you were describing, walking down the hallway and just having a moment of reflection. You know, it's that moment when... Earlier, when I was describing my session with my coach, that in that moment when I blurted those words out was a moment of profound and intense polarity between the two directions that felt like they were going in opposite directions. Directions that were going in opposite directions, yeah. <laughs> um, and then when I sat there, it was just a moment of peace. And I think when you are able to reach that moment of peace, when you can let down your arms, your, uh, sorry, your weapons, when you can put down your weapons and stop fighting between those two parts, because, you know, this shift from a uh, career to vocation, or there's a, an author, she has a book called um, the, something like The Shift from Role to Soul. Um, this can be such an intense fight between two parts of yourself, and ultimately you're the person suffering the, the fight between those two parts. But when you reach that moment of peace, that is the moment when you are able to allow the, the truth to emerge and there's no longer a fight. There's no longer a competition, um, tension between the two. So I don't think in that moment, in that moment, I didn't make a decision. I didn't know where I was going, um, but I just knew I was in the right place. And that was an important, it was it wasn't the path, but it was more like a road sign, you know, saying like this way towards <laughs> something like that. I've talked to another podcast interviews that I've done about what I sometimes call a post-it note moment, which, which is a story in my own journey where the post-it note moment is the moment of awareness and the moment of clarity that doesn't necessarily translate directly to action then and there. So for me, it was coming out of a meeting in a particular company and knowing that this wasn't going to be my long-term path in that company. And I wrote on a post-it note, I'm leaving and put it on my colleague's desk and carried on walking. Um, and she said, when are you leaving? Where are you going? I said, I don't know to either of those questions, but I do know that at some point I will leave. Um, and that clarity helped me then to enter the, you know, enter the journey of, well, when would it be and what would I do? But I let go in that moment of all of the pressures of having to go above and beyond, having to figure out, you know, the, the navigation of the politics for the long-term career in that company. I could just let go of all of that. And I've talked to other people and their post-it note moments might be different. They might not be about leaving, but it's about a moment of clarity. And I wonder whether that resonates for you because you said, this moment of peace is fundamental and profound, but it wasn't necessarily yet about what I was going to do next. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely, definitely resonates because, you know, if you, my context in that moment was that I was working very long hours. I was in a role that I was a very senior role, but I didn't have the experience for it. So I was constantly studying, learning, trying to educate myself to fill the, the shoes that I was filling. <laughs> um, and mm, 
I was trying to fight very hard against my body, against my fatigue, against my um, trying to have it all together. Um, and I think that moment of peace, even though it was so simple, you know, I just sat down in a training room. It was nothing and nothing had happened. But just that moment of peace was so meaningful because <clears throat> I think when you are able to quiet the voices, the voices that are battling against each other, you are able to see. And from that moment, I think I became more able to see more and more. It's like a veil was taken off my eyes and I was able to see, well, my health isn't getting any better. It could get worse. And I just more and more started to realize that continuing to do what I'm doing um, is just going to make things worse and worse. And I could end up, you know, even paralyzed or, you know, like with severe problems. Um, and I realized that what I needed wasn't, you know, coaching wasn't enough or therapy wasn't enough or taking some time off work wasn't enough. I needed to make a really drastic change that was supportive for me and my well-being and my future. And I think that's when I that's when I gave myself permission to connect with that dream of coaching. And I think that story you've just told is going to resonate with so many people right now because the world's pretty overwhelming. People are burned out by what's happened over the last sort of two to three years. There'd be a lot of people who are massively overworked. They're struggling with the cost of living and all these other things. And and you're talking about, it's not that those things came to a head in that moment, but in that moment you found the clarity of all of these things are where they are. They may have been like that for some time, but something needs to change. And you don't necessarily yet know what, but something needs to change. And for you, when you look back, how long had, do you think you'd been in that situation before that clarity arrived for you? It'd been going on for a long time. I think it started gradually, initially with working extra hard. And that was just me wanting to work extra hard because, you know, imposter syndrome, massive. <laughs> um, trying to be worthy of the role I had and the belief that in order to be worthy of the role, I needed to, you know, fill up all my time. Uh, working or or learning, um, and I think this is true for so many people, um, and I think it's particularly true for um, HSPs. The, there is a study done by Elaine Aaron, who is the person, the Dr. Elaine Aaron, who coined the term "highly sensitive person," and um, a, a study done in organizations that um, showed that. Highly sensitive people tend to be the most uh, productive and highest performers in an organization. Uh, but when it comes to job satisfaction, they tend to score much lower than other people. And I think this is really just a reflection of how conscientious we tend to be and how driven to help the business or help other people. Uh, but it's a constant focus on others and what we're expected to do and less so on ourselves. So I think in hindsight, I can really see both why those things happened to me um, and also why they happened for me. <laughs> um, because it's like life prods you and gives you, you know, it, it starts with blurting out the words, but if you're not listening, it's going to give you more and more and more signs until you, um, until you actually listen. And bring us into the moment now. So, so where have you come to now? And how does that play to who you are and who you want to be? Um, you know, I, I say I work as a career coach and that's a, 
a good label that makes sense for everyone. But I think what I do deep down is I work with people who are going through a um, significant, not just life transition, but a transition in their identity from maybe from role to soul. And I think many of us go through a transition just like I did and like you did, where we, we just have a moment of realization that this isn't it and it's probably something else. But bridging that gap from where I am now to, to that point um, isn't just about changing careers, isn't just about interviewing for companies, but it's really about stepping out from who you thought you were into who you really are. So I think from a psychological perspective, this is what I'm actually doing. Yeah, I'm working with people who, you know, find some dissatisfaction or they have all the stuff, you know, the the car, the house, the job, the stat status, the salary. Um, but it's really about what's the, the psychological transition that they're going through. Um, and this is really profound work. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir here, but just being able to be a witness and be part of a person's journey who goes through something like this is just... Um, an absolute privilege. And where does somebody need to be in their own journey and self-awareness and readiness to do the work to be able to work in this kind of way and it be effective and successful? That's a good question. I think it takes either a lot of courage, like perhaps in your case, <laughs> um, to, to really have the courage to say, you know what, I think it's something else. Or it can be, like in my case, getting to that point where you realize that the path you're on is just unsustainable and you need to make a drastic change. And... I think it was uh, Marianne Williamson who said something like, um, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but when we experience anxiety or discomfort, what we naturally do is we take steps to reduce that anxiety, right? So it goes from a 10 to an 8, and an 8 is still uncomfortable, but it's a bearable amount. Um, and many of us like, um, you know, I've certainly done that. We spend a lot of time just trying to reduce our anxiety from a 10 to an 8. But it's still an 8. And that still takes a lot of um, energy to, to cope with. And what Marianne Williamson said is a very radical thought that you need to get to a point where um, you don't just take small steps to reduce your anxiety, but you have a moment where you just fall down on your knees and it's a moment of complete, perhaps, desperation. And you feel like you, you've lost everything and you just look up at the sky and, and say, you know, God or, you know, whatever higher power you believe in. Um, I, I don't understand, you know, please help me. Um, and I think, obviously... I don't want onto anyone to experience such a moment of, you know, desperation. Uh, but I think there is something special and there was something special for me in hindsight, of course, <laughs> not in that moment, in hindsight, being in that moment down on my knees um, and realizing that I needed to make a drastic change because in that moment I just surrendered and I became open because I had just nothing else to lose. And I think that gives us an immense amount of courage as well. It's so powerful. 
that were to use the pictures you paint. Beatrice, where can people find out more about you and the work that you do? My website, uh, beatricezornag.com or LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, just find me and I'd, I'd love to connect. Um, I share especially things that have to do with coaching and coaching supervision. I'm, I'm really passionate about supporting other coaches and working with other coaches. Um, and I also have a, an ebook for people, for coaches who identify as highly sensitive people, um, where I share some, some of my experience and what I've learned from working with highly sensitive coaches and how they can, um, um, <clears throat> how they can use their trait to, um, create more powerful results together with their clients. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For coach Beatrice Zornek, it was discovering a sense of belonging that helped her to discover her true self and find her home in coaching. I'm grateful for how she's been so open and vulnerable in sharing her story today. And I know how many of you, our listeners, will have appreciated it. She really is one of the most extraordinary coaches that I know. Beatrice, you've been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for joining me here on The Unlock Moment. Thank you, Gary. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.